Section 14. The French Revolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The French Revolution by Hilaire Belloc. Section 14. Chapter 4. Continued. Phase 4. From June 1791 to September 1792. To understand the capital effect, both of this flight and of its failure, we must once more insist upon the supreme position of the monarchy in the traditions and instincts of French polity. The unwisdom of the flight it would be difficult to exaggerate. It is impossible to exaggerate the moral revolution caused by its failure. It was regarded as virtually an abdication. The strong body of provincial, silent, and moderate opinion which still centered on the king and regarded it as his function to lead and to govern was bewildered and in the main divorced in the future from the crown. It is an excellent proof of what the monarchy had for so long been to France that even in such a crisis barely the name of a republic was mentioned and that only in the intellectual circles in Paris. All the constitutional and standing forces of society conspired to preserve the monarchy at the expense of no matter what fictions. The middle class, militia guard under Lafayette, repressed in what is known as the massacre of the Champ de Mars, the beginnings of a popular movement. The more radical leaders, among whom was Danton, fled abroad or hid. The Duke of Orleans utterly failed to take advantage of the moment or to get himself proclaimed regent. The monarchical tradition was too strong. Immediately after the second anniversary of the taking of the Bastille in July, the decrees of the Parliament created the fiction that the King was not responsible for the flight, that he had been carried off. And in the following September, though until then suspended from executive power, the king, on taking the oath to the Constitution, was once more at the head of all the forces of the nation. But all this patching and reparation of the façade of constitutional monarchy, a fiction whose tawdriness is more offensive to the French temper than its falsehood, had come too late. Already the queen had written to her brother the Emperor of Austria, suggesting the mobilization of a considerable force and its encampment on the frontier to overawe the revolutionary movement. Her action coincided within a few days with the end of that great parliament which had been chosen on the most democratic suffrage and which had transformed the whole of society and laid the basis of the revolutionary constitution. With the meeting of the National Assembly's successor on the 1st of October 1791, war was already possible. That possibility was to be transformed very soon into probability and at last into actuality. In the new parliament the weight not of numbers but of leadership fell to a group of enthusiastic and eloquent men who from the fact that certain of their principal members came from the Gironde were called the Girondins. They represented the purest and the most enthusiastic ideal of the democracy less national perhaps than that advocated by men more extreme than they but 
of a sort which from that time to this has been able to arouse the enthusiasm of historians Varinaud and Isnard were their great orators. Brissot was their intellectual intriguer, and the wife of Roland, one of their members, was, as it were, the soul of the whole group. It was the fact that these men desired war, which made war certain, once the temper of this new Second Assembly should be felt. The extremists over against them, to whom I have alluded, known as the Mountain, were especially Parisian in character. Robespierre, who had been at first an obscure and later a sectarian orator of the National Assembly, though not sitting in the Second Parliament, was perhaps the most prominent figure in that group, for he was the public orator of Paris, and indeed the mountain was Paris. Paris, whether inside or outside the Parliament, Paris, acting as the responsible brain of France, later it was the mountain that had first opposed the war, which was to ensure the success of the French arms by a rigidity and despotism in action, such as the purer and less practical minds of the Girondins abhorred. On the 3rd of September, 1791, to quote a fundamental date in the rapid progress towards a war which was to transform the revolution, the king, writing in a manner which betrays dictation by his wife, begged the king of prussia as she had begged the emperor to mobilize an armed force and with it to back a congress that should have for its object the prevention of the spread of the revolution that letter was typical of the moment from both sides tension was rapidly proceeding to the breaking point nor was the tension merely upon generalities the revolution had broken a european treaty in the annexation of the papal state of avignon and it had broken european conventions when it had abolished in alsace feudal rights that were possessed by the princes of the empire it was as though some state today attempting collectivism should confiscate along with other property securities lying in its banks but held by the nationals of a foreign state on the revolutionary side also there was a definite pointed issue which was the permission accorded within the empire for the emigrants to meet in arms and to threaten the french frontier but these precise and legal points were not the true causes of the war the true causes of the war were the desire of the unreformed european governments notably those of prussia and austria that the revolution should in their own interests be checked and the conviction that their armed forces were easily capable of effecting the destruction of the new French regime. The court of Vienna refused to accept the just indemnity that was offered the princes of the empire in Alsace for the loss of their old feudal rights. Leopold, the emperor, who was one of the same generation as the French king and queen, died upon the 1st of March, 1792 and was succeeded by a son only twenty-four years of age and easily persuaded to war on the french side with the exception of the mountain and notably of robespierre there was a curious coalition of opinion demanding war the court and the reactionaries were sufficiently certain of victory of the allies to find their salvation in war the revolutionary party that is the mass of public opinion and the patriots as they called themselves the girondins also and especially 
desired war as a sort of crusade for the revolution. They suffered grievous illusions, its enthusiasts always must, and believed the French armed forces capable of sustaining the shock. The plans had already been drawn up for the campaign, and promptly betrayed to the enemy by the Queen. Dumouriez, an excellent soldier, had from the middle of March 1792 been the chief person in the ministry and the director of foreign affairs, and a month later, on the 20th of April, war was declared against Austria, or to be accurate, against the King of Hungary and Bohemia. Such was still the official title of Marie Antoinette's nephew, who, though now succeeded to the empire, had not yet been crowned emperor. It was hoped to confine the war to this monarch, and indeed the German princes of the empire did not join him. The landgrave of Hesse Castle was an exception. But the one German power that counted most, the Kingdom of Prussia, which Dumouriez had especially hoped to keep neutral, joined forces with Austria. The royal letters had done their work. The end of section fourteen.